if someone's got what's called a follows pattern, uh, I might say, look, this is your body being really, really wise and going into some form of hibernation. Just like, just like your laptop would if it was running really low on resources. It's telling us your body is wise and adaptive. Hello and welcome to the Mineral Minded Podcast. Are you interested in learning more about vitamins, minerals, heavy metal detoxification, and natural health? We explore a range of topics that are related to mineral balancing science and hair tissue mineral analysis, including in-depth interviews, news, and commentary about the wonderful world of natural medicine. I'm your host, John Bumpus. Today on the Mineral Minded Podcast, we have Abdul Saad. He is a clinical psychologist based in Sydney, Australia, and the founder of the website vitalmind.com.au. Abdul Saad has an interest in nutritional foundations of mental health and the evidence-based use of micronutrients in treating high-prevalence mental health disorders such as anxiety and depression. He has developed a three-level approach that focuses on addressing mental health with the understanding that the body and mind work together. Hello, Abdul. How are you today? Hi, John. It's very nice to, uh, to be with you. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. You know, it's a real pleasure to connect with you. Um, when I had a conversation with Rick Malter, he spoke very highly of you. So I made it Thank one you. of my efforts to reach out and try and get in contact with you um, basically right after that interview. So that's very kind of you and very kind of Rick, very kind of Dr. Malter. Yeah. So I understand you're a psychologist. Um, that's correct. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got into nutrition, vitamins, minerals, um, and even hair tissue mineral analysis? Uh, yes, John. Well, it was, I think like many practitioners, it was my own personal um, you know, health issues or health crisis. Really, it started in 2013 when I um, developed atrial fibrillation, okay. which was uh, you know, pretty scary. Uh, and that took me on a journey to understand, um, you know, my body, the, what things I could do um, in addition to whatever medical uh, treatments were being offered. And that took me on a journey to understanding um, the role of minerals, the role of stress, our belief systems. And um, it led me in a way to HTMA very, you could say, synchronistically or serendipitously okay. because there was a training happening i'm pretty sure it was it was in 2016 so i've been dabbling researching nutrition looking at the clinical literature in terms of the role of micronutrients for depression anxiety and there's a, okay, a yeah. very large literature now but about three years into that process a training came up through interclinical uh the okay. um I guess the distributors for trace elements incorporated in Australia into clinical labs in Sydney. And it was a conference in, um, at a hotel in the city. It was a, a weekend conference I attended. And um, that gave me a, just a taste, a little teaser of the, of HDMA. Was it with Janine or Gary, uh, Gary Noble, is it? I forget the names, but it was the, I guess the owners of, of HTMA, I think Ian is one of the gentlemen, Ian, Ian and Zach. 
Ian and Zach. Ian and Zach. Oh, cool. All right. Yeah. And, um, you know, at the back of the conference room, there were uh, printed materials that you could uh, purchase. And uh, Dr. Rick Malta was a very prominent name on those binders, those books. Yeah, yeah. So um, I started reading everything I could and very promptly got in touch with Rick. Okay. Uh, and started doing supervision with him for a whole year, you know, discussing cases. Uh, kind of like, the, like the, a mentorship kind of thing? A, mentor, a one-year mentorship with him. So I attended the conference, I'm pretty sure, September 2016. And the whole of 2017 was meeting up with Rick. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. You, you did you get kind of did you do his course as well i'm just curious um uh i did yes i did ele elements of his course but the okay. main main way i learned was from meeting with him directly and reviewing um profiles what a fantastic opportunity yeah it was really good <laughs> it's really good really good so and that is really the best way to learn of uh, you know any system hmm. is to work with a practitioner practitioner and the the beautiful thing about dr rick malta is that he studied the system with the with the original teachers and that's yeah. so important in any system it's the the chain of transmission any system in in psychology if you are a, a jungian or you know a freudian or you you have to really understand well what did jung teach what did freud teach you have to go back to the, the source knowledge or source material otherwise it becomes a copy of a copy of a copy it's all diluted so the beautiful thing about Dr. Rick Malta is he learned directly from uh, Dr. Eck and uh, Dr. Watts. He was physically with them in, in the room at these conferences, at these seminars. So he has done the HTMA world a great service in, in um, not only generously transmitting the information, but keeping, uh, keeping that transmission pristine, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah, because Not he, he kind of delivers it as it is. And when you said like like the um <laughs> the right. way of transferring it reminded me a lot of like the yoga kind of perspective of you learn from the, the like the head person and then it gets passed down through a lineage. Oh, and exactly. then those people kind of present it as it is and not um you know copy errors where over time yeah. you know like they say whispers become a complete different thing uh and you have to be very mindful not to do that especially when you teach others so it's really great that exactly. you, you can still connect with rick and still um, get some of that perspective there on both sides as well yes absolutely it's it was a um a great <clears throat> experience especially with reviewing cases because you can you know, take classes, you can read books, you can understand the core principles, but you really need to be reviewing um, real cases, real profiles to develop, um, I guess, enough skill or some level of mastery of how to interpret the profiles and you know, what sort of recommendations you make based on those interpretations. Yeah, like we um, we always talk about you know principles and philosophy and how that they drive our practice. Yes. And if you look at something a certain way, then the way that you address something is going to be very similar based off of <clears throat> your principles and philosophy. So mm. book learning is very important for that. But sometimes yeah. that clinical experience just changes entirely. And sometimes even on paper, it might look like, hey, this person um, has something, whatever it is. Yeah. In practice, you might 
not even use that information <laughs> and you just know you get intuition or you might have past history cases of what's happened in very similar situations and you're like, mm, yeah. this works. So let's try it this way. Yeah. And you learn in yeah. that way as well. Exactly. And that, that intuition only comes, I think after you've completed some form of some form of an apprenticeship with a master, um, because unless we've done that, um, we can't really master something in its in our own right. We can't claim to have mastery, right? So we all need to go through an an apprenticeship phase, and that was really the year with with Rick. Cool. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So you did this mostly for your health, but you were also interested in incorporating some of this information into your practice, or yeah, absolutely. Because the you know the way that I I. I view HTMA in the way that it was introduced by Dr. Rick Malta is that it is a, um, a stress and energy profile. So it fits very nicely within the purview of psychology because we're dealing with, you know, stress and energy. So, I mean, what that means at a deeper level is that HTMA is a mind, is based on a mind body paradigm or mind body system. Right. Like the Descartes, uh, Descartes kind of mind body split, or is that what you mean? Or no, not in terms of yeah. the split, actually. No, an, a, a, an integration that mind and body are integrated. And in fact, it's, it's, it's the opposite of Descartes because if we look at minerals, minerals are, if we look at them at the material plane, they are seemingly inert matter. They're rocks, right? Uh, supposedly, yeah. They're rocks. But, <laughs> but, but they, they, they influence the cellular energy of our body. They influence our level of consciousness. They, they switch things on. So these seemingly inert rocks have incredibly powerful influences energetically in the body. So I, see, I have come to see minerals as the link or a link between the physical planes and the non-physical or non-material planes, the, the, the energetic, the spiritual, right? The etheric so it's like the intermediary you kind of perceive it as. An, in, an like, intermediary. So an HTMA, um, the HTMA paradigm is very much mind-body integration because with all mind-body systems, all of them have this common theme of energy as the fundamental currency that's running the whole show of consciousness of life. It is all energy. And therefore all dis-ease and I use it in that way, this is, yeah. is some manifestation of a malfunction of energy. You either have too much energy, too little energy. You know, you've got blocked energy, some combination of that, right? Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an integrative mind-body system that, in a way, if we truly understand the principles of HDMA, I think it compels practitioners to start to practice more integratively. And maybe we'll touch on that a bit later that uh, it's, I don't see a, a holistic integrative HTMA practitioner as someone who just recommends, you know, often boatloads of supplements. Yeah. I, I don't think that is in line with the philosophy and the ethos of the HTMA system. 
I agree. I, I work with a lot of clients and while I focus on nutrition and supplementation, because that's my scope of practice, yeah. I often tell people even once you begin even just shifting that biochemistry, it can affect the mind. Right. And then there's things that can come up. We, you probably know the term, you know, your tissue, your issues are in your tissues. That's right. Well, once we start to mobilize toxic metals, toxic thoughts can come up, toxic memories, mm -hmm. um, even traumatic stuff can start to surface. Yeah. And if we don't arm ourselves both physically to cope with that, the energy to take on the challenge and overcome it, and mm -hmm. the, the, um, the um, kind of capacity mm -hmm. to overcome it emotionally or even to change our perception on what happened yeah sometimes things just suck and then you know that's just the reality but you know absolutely um, sometimes wrong meanings are very um critical and so Incredibly. i have to tell people to go and work with someone as well in this emotional thing and it might not be right away but it might yeah. be hey once you start you might want to consider doing that and it can enhance your program it can shift things in a way that zinc won't um <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. absolutely and you can often get a sense of the psychological dimension um when you are and, and we have to be mindful of this as practitioners when we're communicating results or our interpretation mm -hmm. so if someone's got you know let's say a very low potassium and it's not really shifting well what beliefs and attitudes does that raise both within the practitioner and the client uh fear dread cynicism uh the despair why isn't it shifting let's try more supplements and and in my case you know my potassium just would not budge okay. it, it would not budge until i had a shift in my level of consciousness where i consciously surrendered the need for the potassium to shift because what was happening was i was in a state of fear and desperation i needed it to shift because i had this belief and of course if you understand um some basic law, spiritual laws, the more that you are desperate for something and the more you have fear around not getting it, what happens? You repel, you repel it. it. Yeah. You repel it, right? <laughs> you repel it. So uh, it, it all sort of intertwines. You know, if you look at 12 step programs for addiction, I, I think 12 steps are really a philosophy of life. Look at the first three steps. Anyone that's feeling stuck, read the first three steps of the 12 step programs. And you'll sort of see what I mean. It's about relinquishing and surrendering, which doesn't mean, oh, I'm not going to do anything about this. I'm not going to work on this, but I'm surrendering the outcome to a higher consciousness. And that then creates an attitude of um, humility within the person and also the practitioner, because the outcome is not in my hands or your hands, right? We are, we are merely uh, conduits, vehicles, if we're truly manifesting some sort of archetype of a, a healer, a health professional. So we have to stay grounded and humble. And the intricacies and the complexities of a mind-body framework helps us do that. Yeah. Because what often happens is we can get into an allopathic model. Let's just chuck more supplements at this. And then you've got a boatload of supplements and the practitioner's burnt out because nothing's working. The client's frustrated and burnt out. And you're practicing what is akin to in medicine, what's called polypharmacy, which is a huge, huge problem in medicine. We just give more and more medications and it's incredibly um, uh, 
uh, it can get dangerous with elderly people when it comes to medicines, right? Like yeah, especially almost, polypharmacy where, you know, there's so many different interactions and then um, yeah. there's no way you can tell what's going on with that. I've seen that even with antifungals, you know, in natural mm -hmm. medicine where they put you on, I've seen 64 antifungals someone was on and I said, there's no way. Like I have right. a hard time with a couple of minerals and I'm like <laughs> 64 yeah. antifungals and right. these herbs or, are complex. Or, like, or 20 supplements someone's on. Mm -hmm. right 20 20 25 supplements that's why yeah. when we we talk about scope of practice we'll touch on that cool. uh, the, the importance of how you design your programs yeah yeah so um you know i, I think you touched on some really cool things that archetype um i studied uh a little bit of Jungian psychology, not a uh, lot, um, right, right. You know, but it always fascinated me. Like, cause it, when you brought that up, the first thing that come to my mind was that wounded healer, you know, um, and it reminded me of when we first started talking, when you said, Hey, I came in with my own challenges and then I started to work um, with Rick. And then you also started to implement that information as well in practice. So it's like, um, Exactly. It's like you're starting to embody that kind of archetype. <laughs> yeah. And if you take that fear one, then it's like you guys are both kind of actualizing that kind of archetype of fear. Yeah. And we know that low potassium is that sympathetic dominance. And mm -hmm. when you're in a state of fear, there's no way that you're relaxed, calm, cool, and collective. You know, exactly. <laughs> so. exactly. you, you, you could take all the potassium in the world, right? And it's yeah. unlikely to, to significantly shift. Mm. And so it's a great, it's, we need to have this broader understanding because we'll get better results. We'll get better results. And sometimes less is more. Less is more when it comes to what we recommend and supplements. Often less is more. I think that um, that really needs to be practiced a little bit more um, mm -hmm. in many aspects of life, right? People accumulate a lot of things in, in their external world, and then they wonder yeah. why they accumulate toxins on their internal world, right? And it's yeah, like um, that as above, so below, as within, so without kind of principle. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. And everything is fundamentally energy or has a has an energetic currency or valence every belief every uh, negative experience we've been we've been through attitudes we hold mm. so this just makes us look at things more holistically and i think makes us more effective in our lives and if we're helping others in the lives of others yeah of right? course yeah um, you know what i think is really fascinating is when, when you touched on like minerals being matter and then you talked about like consciousness kind of being like that ground and then everything yeah. is kind of built on consciousness and energy. Um, it reminded me of the work, I think it's Jagadesh Bose, you know, the, one of the researchers in India a long time ago, and he did work on the consciousness of elements, you know, right. and, and he like would get like drug lead or he would like, like give a drug to um, a mineral to see its effects and measure its effects and how it responds to it. And he found that like, you know, iron and lead are conscious. They can respond to influences mm -hmm. you give to them, um, which is one of the criteria of consciousness. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So which, which goes against the Cartesian dualism because from my perspective, uh, matter is conscious. Yeah. Nothing, nothing escapes consciousness. Consciousness permeates all planes of existence, including the material. 
Yeah. I, so, the, so the material plane is not uncon- it's not inert, lifeless, and stupid. It is conscious. Yeah. Right. So, and that comes from um, a view from my own faith tradition that there is not there is not this bifurcation that consciousness, or if you want to say divinity, permeates everything. Nothing escapes divinity. Nothing escapes consciousness, right? Absolutely, so yeah. the, the, the Cartesian dualism actually has been incredibly, um, what's the word? Uh, it's, it's had uh, negative consequences for our understanding of health. Well, it created that whole dynamic of even to this day that um, most medical doctors, while they still understand the importance of the practice of psychology, yeah. They, they depend on neurotransmitters as being the major cause of something, right? And not right. that like this mind is even immaterial and influencing the physical. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and they don't even acknowledge that. They just say, where is the mind? It's somewhere in the brain. We can't find it, but we can find the effects of it, right? Um, which is a very subtle energetic practice, yeah. which is kind of what you were setting, setting up in the beginning. Yeah, and I, I think that... Um... I think that more sophisticated um, practitioners, and certainly in you know, philosophy of mind, there is a there is a broader understanding, a deep understanding of the complexity of, of consciousness. But I agree at the general level for most practitioners, even even psychologists, not just medical doctors, um, there is this sort of very sharp mind body split, which is being increasingly challenged now, even in the clinical literature with things like you know, energy medicine, um, the role of acupuncture, traditional methods and modalities of healing that you can't easily account for their results from a purely biomedical model. Mm. I, I think it's needed. Um, I think that's the point of science as well is to kind of bring up these things and then other people say, hey, that influences things as well and then they they all kind of connect to each other and you will find that like psychology maybe you disagree but i think you won't um psychology is very important but physical health is very important and then also working on you know um, some of those energetic perspectives as well can be very influential like getting in touch with natural spring water rather than um, reverse osmosis water, for example, where they're both right. chemically water, but one has that vital um, yeah. energetic state where water went through rocks and was in connection absolutely. with the earth, whereas the other one is just chemically pure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, yeah. and if, if you can't, you know, you, you, you can't access a reverse osmosis, there's, there's workarounds. You know, you add some mineral salts to your water, you, yeah. you, you can bring it to life, right? Yeah, they used to yeah. say in the old days, even if you have distilled water, to pour and in, like into a cup and then out of a cup multiple times to kind of get like right. um, some kind of energy back into it. They said it would yeah. affect the hydrogen bond. Who knows if that's right? True. Right. But right. It, it would become a lot more lively because it starts to take in the ions from the air and stuff, yeah. and it replicates a waterfall or something. Right. Um, um, so I'm curious, what are some of the um, the core principles that you um, integrate into your practice when it comes to HTMA or nutrition? Or yeah, things. yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I, I have them actually 
reflected on them. I have them written here, so I don't uh, miss anything. But let's let's sort of go sure. through the core. So first, yeah. the first one is you have to work within your scope of practice and professional knowledge. Okay. So because I'm a psychologist, I'm not a medical professional or biomedical professional. Mm-hmm. Um, I am really relying on the clinical literature for understanding the role of micronutrients when it comes to mental health. And, and that literature is expanding now. Um, the links between psychological and psychiatric disorders and micronutrient deficiencies. Um, in fact, there was a landmark uh, paper in The Lancet some years back uh, about you know, this emerging field called nutritional psychiatry and how the evidence now was overwhelming. That, for example, major depression is fundamentally an inflammatory condition, right? Um, and there's, there's been a lot of reviews now around the evidence about, you know, using things like fish oil or vitamin D, you know, zinc, various micro, micronutrients as adjunctive treatments, adjunctive to talking therapies and um, psychotropic meds. So first principles, principle for me is work within your scope of practice. And because of that, I use very simple programs if I'm recommending supplements based on an HDMA profile. And, you know, the main ones for me uh, would be magnesium, calcium, B6, B6, zinc, selenium, taurine, um, sometimes nutritional lithium in the form of lithium orotate. Really good paper by Timothy Marshall on nutritional lithium that's uh, uh, published in the medical literature. Can I ask you a question quick? So I want to touch on lithium because I think lithium is fascinating, but um, but I had a question. Did you come across the work of Julia Rutledge in New Zealand where she talks about mental health and broad spectrum micronutrient therapy? So rather than just saying, just take zinc or B6, she says, take a a potent multivitamin. And then she tracked like the effects on children with ADHD, for example. I know that was one that she did and they found pretty good results. So so do you do you use to incorporate a multivitamin or do you only that isolated um, singular nutrient? I, I tend to use more the um, isolated approach because I find with a multivitamin, sometimes I will, but I find that you have less precision okay. with, the pro, with the program when it's a broad spectrum uh, okay. micronutrient multivitamin formula, especially if it has things like iron or, or copper or things that you might want to avoid right yeah so just just for clarity like like for example um some companies i won't mention them but i'm sure you know have products designed for specific patterns such as yes metabolism yes. slow so you don't use something like i, I do i do i have used them but less less so i tend to use okay. indi- individual micronutrients cool yeah so that's the first one scope of practice simple programs and be guided by the clinical literature the third one is, and it relates to uh, to the first two, is you know don't create highly complex programs unless you are an advanced practitioner. Again, when it comes to supplements, less is more. Personally, I don't do any form of detox programs. Um, I don't. I believe detox is for you. Really have to be an advanced practitioner, right? And typically, not always. That's going to be um, a medical doctor or an osteopathic physician that's done advanced training, a doctor of chiropractic or someone with a, a deep knowledge of human physiology and biochemistry, right? So I don't really think that if, you know, practitioners that don't have, le- have that level of expertise, 
I personally do not do any form of detox. I don't create highly complex programs. So that's in terms of the supplements, if I'm recommending them. <clears throat> the other principles relate more to how I communicate the results. So very, <laughs> very careful with the language I use. You have to be very careful. Why? Well, if we're mind body, if it's all energy, then, then when you communicate something, um, that can be highly impactful and create a, a belief within the person. So I always convey the fact that the HDMA is not a medical or diagnostic test. It's simply a screening tool. Um, I avoid any dogmatic assertions about what the results mean. I'm open-minded, try to be tentative, humble attitude, and avoid any rigidity or dogma. And definitely no strong language like this is a death pattern or this is, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you speak like that and you are actually creating harm. It's called iatrogenesis, right? Iatrogenic, e oh. meaning the treatment itself or how it's communicated is creating harm. You're creating a belief in the person, right? So it can create nocebo-like effects, basically. Yeah, nocebo. So keep the explanation simple, elegant. If someone's got what's called a follows pattern, uh, I might say, look, this is your body being really, really wise and going into some form of hibernation. <clears throat> just like just like your laptop would if it was running really low on resources. It's telling us your body is wise and adaptive, right? Um, and the other thing I do in terms of the, the principles is I'm always open and listening for the belief systems of the client, um, what assumptions are being triggered, uh, what level of consciousness they're at, right? And this brings us back to another, something I, I sort of missed is that because I view HTMA as a mind-body system, I believe if you're an HTMA practitioner, I think you need to have at least a working understanding of energy medicine, any psychology, energy psychology, and ideally um, some training or expertise in some energy psychology slash, slash medicine tool. And one of one of the ones that I, I uh, use in my practice is EFT. Okay. Right, tapping, tapping, yeah, tapping on the IQ points, tapping on the meridian points, um, and that greatly expands your repertoire, your your view of the client, and the tools that you can access. If you're just doing straight supplements, and like you said, if you don't have those skills, you refer to another practitioner. But don't develop the tunnel vision where you're getting more and more frustrated, and you're getting into what we, I call the supplement quicksand. Right. And right. And I think that that becomes a difficulty when we're just focusing on the body part. It's mind body for a reason. So there, there's some of the principles that I practice by and um, that I think keeps HTMA um, in its rightful place and and as an effective tool. Yeah. And it is yeah. a very effective tool in practice. I love those principles because I really believe in, you know, um, having even some, some core to, some sort of, uh, um, template, which you, you kind of perceive, you know, <laughs> using Absolutely. the, in your practice. So like, like some people I've worked with like, um, homeopaths that right. use HTMA, but they don't use it in the way that, you know, you or I would have learned about it. They use it as kind of like a guide to how they use homeopathy and, right, right. 
I'm open to it. I'm receptive to it. I don't know how it'll impact, but I've always been interested in saying, well, obviously they're probably finding some gain with it, doing it in this way. So we need to be receptive to it and they might not even use any nutrients. And to me, I find it hard because I studied nutrition and I believe it means, (laughs) but at the end of the day, I'm like, well, it seems to have um, clinical relevant results. So it's like, that's what matters most, not anything else really when you're a practitioner, that's really all that matters. (laughs) It is. You're right. It's it's the results that matter. And sometimes our, uh, paradigm can't account for these results because the paradigm is limited, mm. right? If it's very mechanistic or a purely materialistic or biochemical paradigm, that mm. doesn't say, I'm not saying that the biochemistry is unimportant. Like you mentioned neurotransmitters. Well, you know, for some people, SSRIs are incredibly helpful, if not life-saving. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's not a dogmatic thing that psychiatric medications are in principle bad, but they need to be located within a broader framework, hmm. right? A broader, a, a much more holistic framework. Well, there's a, a this thing called the therapeutic order in, in naturopathic medicine, and they talk about, yeah. you know, getting the foundation of the foundational health there first. And that's diet, removing this excessive stressors, the environmental influences that might be affecting things, your nutrition, yes. like like that's the, the foundation. And then you build on it and you start to like, like Cairo yeah. is probably not the first place to go for if you're struggling with depression, for example, but it yeah. might have an influence at some point, inflammation and stuff. And, you Absolutely. know, energy pathways aren't flowing properly because yeah. they have a curved spine or something it could be a part of a complementary integrative practice, but it shouldn't be the core. <laughs> shouldn't be think, the core. Yeah. And I think drug therapy and surgery are like at the top with they're necessary and they are needed, but you yeah. should get the bottom of the pyramid kind of um, set up first. <laughs> yeah. So essentially what you're saying is context is king. Yeah. You need to, whatever you do it, you have to do it within the appropriate context. If if you're applying something out of context, it's it's going to be less effective, less effectual. Mm. And you know, psychiatrists I've worked with, good good psychiatrists who are embody, um, you know, what I would say is a healer archetype, freely acknowledge that, and often off the record have told me they're very frustrated with where things are at in mental health. They know that their clients need more, especially in the public mental health system, where there's so much pressure to just minimally stabilize someone and get them out the door. And then they come back, the revolving door syndrome. You know, I worked for some years in psychiatric units. So the the practitioners on the ground um, recognize the limits of the paradigms they're operating within. And I think most practitioners, medical practitioners, non-medical are doing their best, trying to do their best by their clients and by their patients within the limits of the paradigm, within the limits of the, and often in a a hospital setting, psychiatry, the, the, the bureaucracy, right? The bureaucratic system that doctors now have to operate in, which is, is, very sad to see because it's more about following protocols than you know healing and caring protocols but, rarely work anyway and you know right, right. all of these three steps you know and you're done um 
Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. then you're treating someone as if they're just like a robot and they, as if, you know, yeah. it's just, if you don't make it along those steps, then there's something wrong with the person rather than something wrong with the protocol or the approach, right? Well, yes. And that ties into the, um, you know, ego inflation of the practitioner. If, 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 the, if the person I'm seeing doesn't fit within my sand sifter, then something's wrong with them or because the practitioner there is outcome dependent. They've got an ego investment, which if you look at it from a, uh, a Jungian perspective, that, that's what we call ego inflation. Another word for that is narcissistic, right? There's a narcissistic element there. And if that's introduced into the therapeutic relationship, it's very damaging. That's why it's incumbent upon any practitioner to be working on their own junk, right? Yeah, well, you got to work on your own stuff if you really want to help people. Yeah, and and I think right. it also comes back to uh, you. You got to go through the the well. In the in other calls, I said it's like we got to get to the. There's many different paths on a mountain, right? But you have to have at least gone up and down the mountain before you can really um, start to guide other people through the mountain. <laughs> like you exactly. need to know if there's detours or opportunities to take another route. And that's a, a critical role for a practitioner. Like I've referred people to get NLP, for example, and right. I, I studied NLP, but I'm not comfortable right. in practicing it. So I will yeah, refer yeah. them out. And I think that is important um, to help you really get in touch with um, why yeah. you think a certain way or why you feel a certain way. Absolutely. And absolutely. Cognitive behavior therapy can be helpful as well. And yeah, um, yeah. All, all of the modalities, all of them, we, we have to be non-dogmatic. I uh, just a few days back uh, working with a gentleman and I, I, I informed him that, look, I, I think it's highly probable he's got a, a pretty severe case of adult ADHD. And I said, look, you owe it to yourself to see a psychiatrist who specializes in this and see what medical options, if any, there are for your treatment, because there are limits to what a talking therapy can do or even a supplement program. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's an attitude of neutrality where all the options are on the table. Mm. If we've got dogma, we say, well, no, medication is always bad. Well, that's a, dogma <laughs> that's a dogmatic belief. Yeah you have to put it in context. So an attitude of therapeutic neutrality, because like you said, we want what works. We don't want to just um, verify our preconceived ideas. That's just ego. Right. But we also need to be respectful to other practices, especially those mainstream ones, because yeah. if we want respect back from them, we can't just like talk bad about their practice and everything they do. But you know, you, you kind of have to be there and be like, Hey, integrate this with them. And like, Hey, go talk to your doctor about this. And Absolutely. sometimes the person might not do that, but at least we're trying to, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we have to be um, humble. We have to be respectful and um, we have to understand that the Western um, medical model has strengths, has in, in, in certain situations, it, it's life-saving. Um, you know, I went through a phase very early in my career as a young therapist, um, you know, reading about Thomas Sars and the sort of anti-psychiatry movement and all that. But it's like at the end of the day, before we had psychotropic medication, people were being 
shocked, shocked, you know, they're being put in cold baths, they were being treated with insulin, they were being, in the appropriate context, these tools can be incredibly helpful. Where we go wrong with anything, whether it's, you know, medical or non-medical is we lack context and we, be, we become dogmatic, mm. right? Co- again, context is key. I love that, yeah. Context is key. And like to be healthy is to be adaptable, not to be rigid and, you know, um, this is the only way to do something because many times, even on my own healing journey, when I had a spinal injury, I mm. had to keep learning and I did things that people said, hey, that right. won't work. Um and it did, you know, and like, like I had a high calcium on my test and everyone said, oh, don't take calcium. Uh-huh. It was amazing, amazingly helpful for me. <laughs> and I took it three times higher than the dose people would say. And I, they were like, oh, you're going to tank your potassium and all that. And I was like, yeah, but I'm feeling improvements. Feeling better. Like, I'm yeah, feeling okay. more stable. I'm starting to have more core strength. I'm like, so I yeah. don't care what it does to the test. It was like <laughs> right, exactly. You're not. You're not down. That later. <laughs> it's, it's 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 really. You know, we come back to the spiritual principle of letter of the law versus spirit of the law. Right, you know, a core principle within, especially within the Christian faith. Uh, it's like, yeah, the letter of the law will get you, will get you so far. But the spirit of the law has a lot more horsepower. It can really give you much greater thrust and lift off, right? If you want to go to a higher altitude, a higher altitude. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's just got more power. And I want to be, I want to have the maximum level of power to be maximally effective. Brilliant. Uh, Yeah. So can I ask you about um, lithium? Because I always... I I think it's interesting that many people say, oh, you need to take the high dose lithium carbonate for what bipolar disorder, psychosis or whatever they recommend it for. Um, And and then someone says, oh, well, taking that insignificant lithium orotate dose of five milligrams, 10 milligrams, even 20, it's so minuscule that it's not going to have effect. Um, and I know yeah. in my practice, I haven't found that to be true. I find it to be very impactful. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I'm just yeah. curious about your thoughts. Well, um, I, I, I'm never using lithium as a treatment for bipolar. Bipolar yeah. is, a, is, a, is, a, is an incredibly serious medical condition. And it's about the only medical, it's about the only psychiatric condition which has a very clear genetic and biological basis. So I would never, ever recommend nutritional lithium to treat bipolar. Nutritional lithium is very helpful or can be helpful with um, helping people with a lot of anxious rumination, sticky thoughts, um, anxiety, right? And it's related biochemically to the effect of the nutritional lithium on the NMDA receptors and glutamate as part of the biochemistry of it. And similar with zinc, with magnesium, these are NMDA receptor um, antagonists, right? So, yeah, uh, it's, it's useful, but, you know, in, in very low doses, which is what nutritional lithium is. Mm-hmm. Um, but bipolar disorder, absolutely. Uh, anyone with bipolar disorder must be under the supervision of uh, a consultant psychiatrist or their GP yeah. after they've seen a psychiatrist. The, 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 uh, the, the stakes are so high with bipolar, so high. 
I get. I didn't mean like 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 just to go nutritional, and I didn't mean to yeah. use nutritional to treat it. I just meant like, for example, it's used for that, and then they say that yeah. dose are insignificant, you know. But right, that, that's just right. the the one statement that people there a lot of the. I don't know if you'd say researchers would say, but I think what what a lot of people like yeah. practitioner GPs might say it's low dose. It's low dose. Yeah. Well, of course, if we if we're using it as an adjunctive to help someone, you know, reduce ruminative thoughts or reduce anxiety, in that context. But if we're saying it's going to treat mania, then yeah. I see the point that no, um, yeah. you know, the, the there isn't enough of an evidence base for that yeah. and. The risks are really high because with mania and depression, you know, the risks of suicide, acting out um, are very high. Yeah. Thank you. So so I like how you're open to micronutrient therapies. Um, it reminds me of like the early, I think in the 80s when they had the orthomolecular psychi- psychiatry movement. Yeah, Abram, was, Abram Hoffer and uh, Linus Pauling. Yeah, and, and I mean... I appreciate their work, but in the same way, it was very like um, you have these nutritional tools and you just take high dose, like what, niacin or something? Yeah. Vitamin C and stuff. And it was like they all kind of did the same kind of thing with those small amounts of isolated nutrients. Yeah. Um, Yeah, the uh, mega vitamin therapy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which I, I still find that there's some value in, but I also like, I just think it's interesting because before they were like quacks, you know, it's quackery as far as psychology and as far as nutritional therapy. Yeah. Uh, but now it's like, hey, nutritional psychiatry is a real field, you know? Um, it's it's a real field <laughs> in, in, and grounded in, you know, something like real science, the biochemistry, like zinc. Yeah. We know now part of its therapeutic effect in depression is is in the glutaminergic system it's an nmda antagonist mm-hmm. so it's reducing um excitotoxicity in the brain it's it's helping dampen the um neurotoxic effects of glutamate on the hippocampus and the hippocampus is intimately involved in major depression hippocampal damage hippocampal shrinkage so this is not speculation anymore. This is, you know, the, the research has been done and is being done. And we're understanding now more of the um, biochemical bases of why these nutrients are helpful. So it's now got to a point where this is now mainstream medicine. This is not fringe. Yeah. But right? it's still rare to find that mainstream, you know, GP recommend taking. Right. Well, let me let me qualify that. It it the case now is very strong that this should be mainstream. It's in the research, and and oftentimes I say like, when someone says something like, but like uh, about something being ineffective nutritionally, oftentimes I'm like, well, have they read the research on it? Because they might be going off what they learned in school, which even as a you know a nutritional background. I've learned yeah. more outside of school than I did in school. Absolutely. Because um, I read the research. And, stuff. Yeah. and, yeah. and all, all fields have their dogmas. When I was in um, graduate school for psychology, I was told unequivocally, you know, Freud, Jung, they're just old guys who didn't know what they're talking about. There's no evidence. Um, you know, they, they remain <laughs> giants for a reason. You know, the contributions they made. That doesn't mean everything they said is... Uh, you know, is the absolute truth, mm-hmm. but 
<clears throat> it would be arrogant to just wholesale dismiss them. I think so. Yeah. Right. And and same with the pioneers of megavitamin therapy, you know, Abram Hoffer, Linus Pauling. You know, these 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 people were ridiculed. As he said, we were called quacks. And it's like, wow, you know. Um, we sort of can see now what they were talking about all along. But it shows you that kind of idea of like um, rigidity in, in science and even in medicine itself, where um, if you come up with something that goes alternative to the point of view, then people don't like that. Right? Yeah. Um, I, I, I would say in any <laughs> field of human endeavor, including religion, yeah. including no, spiritual, right, yeah. spirituality, you come up with something that is against the paradigm, uh, you're going to be attacked. Yeah. And then you might be, um, they might, you know, say, Hey, maybe he was right. You'll be, you'll be, ex, you'll be excommunicated, right? Yeah. But, but maybe 50, 80 years down the road, they might go, Hey, maybe he had a point, but usually it's too late when you, you <laughs> usually that person's still not around. Like maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we should wash our hands. Maybe that actually saves our patients lives. Right. But yeah. you know, when, 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 when Lister um, said that it was like, it was a heresy. Right. Washing, yeah. washing your hands, like that's got something to do with reducing uh, morta- <laughs> mortality. And we, we see, we laugh now, but if you were a, a, someone back then, you probably would have succumbed to that paradigm. It just doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah. And right? that's like, like personal growth is a big thing, right? We always need to continue growing, continue reading, continue looking up stuff that even you might not always agree with just to see what their point of view is, you know? Um, And like, we see it, like I, I'm mostly in nutrition. So that's where I I go from a lot of my basis. And we see, don't take copper, take copper, don't take Uh, calcium, take calcium, you know, (laughs) that whole thing. And it's like, what's your perspective on both sides? And can we find that middle path? Cause like, I think it was the the Tibetans that said the middle path, but I, I think really everywhere, every different culture has like a take that every 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 tradition yeah because the middle path is the integration of the polarities because the polarities is where the ego is it's either this or this and it's called the law of three you've got an initiating force a reacting force but you need a neutralizing force to bring it to neutralize it because otherwise you're going to stay polarized um same thing in psychology. You know, that's what an inner conflict is. And effective psychotherapy resolves inner conflict, so they're integrated, right? Do I love this person? Do I hate this person? Well, we've got to integrate both. You've got both of those feelings. <laughs> right. No, right? I, love, I love your openness about that, Abdul. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, no, it's really great. So I only have like one other a question, I guess, is basically sure. um, you touched on like energy, energetic medicines and you, I know you do, would do talk therapy in your practice, but do you yeah. give them like homework to do EFT or do you suggest that they do biofeedback or do you, like, do you suggest they do sound healing? Like, like, like or do you just like, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. Um, e- EFT is a modality that I, I will use with clients and okay. I will often recommend resources or books because the, the beautiful thing about EFT is you can learn it very quickly mm-hmm. and you just see whether it helps, whether it works or not. You don't have to wait weeks or months. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I often recommend for people a really great book uh, called The Tapping Solution okay. by, by Nick Ortner, O-R-T-N-E-R. Um, 
I'm, I don't get any, uh, you know, kickbacks for recommending that book. That's fine. That, yeah. That's a, it's a really great introduction to tapping and EFT. Yeah, I yeah. find it, it, for me, because um, I used a lot of EFT in the past. And when I was like 14, I was I remember myself on, on a bus. Yeah, and I was listening to a podcast and they were talking about EFT and and then like I so I googled it and looked to see all the things and I'm sitting there like at like a 14 year old tapping yeah, yeah, and I'm like yeah. on the bus and I'm like people probably think I'm crazy you You're know crazy, like, right? like this is something that like, <laughs> like why is he tapping and doing and, this whole thing right and, and for those who need it to be evidence-based it is evidence-based David Feinstein who is Donna Eden's husband Donna Eden is a big sort of guru in the energy medicine world he's a he's a clinical psychologist in the States, and he published a, a paper showing that it that you know if you look at energy medicine and the and the effect sizes of the results, it qualifies as an evidence-based modality according to the American Psychological Association's criteria. So mm-hmm. it's not invasive, it's not dangerous. So you just try it and just see, right? Mm-hmm. I think James Oshman, I think his name is, he's got like a, a really good book on energetic medicine as well. That pretty much where people right. think energetic medicine is like woo woo, I guess, uh-huh. or fluffy, I guess, you know, those terms. Um, there's actually a lot of science developed now that's showing that there's really good effects of even including, you know, EFT or other yeah. energetic therapies and that they have physical effects, even if we don't understand why. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, you exactly. know, um, which yeah. even prayer, I've heard prayer therapy, you know, where someone prays, prays for someone else can have an influence. So. Uh, absolutely. And again, within context. So where, where people, where I understand uh, people who may be skeptical or say, hmm, don't know about this, is if we're using that as a replacement for something that sh- we should use. If we say, well, let's use prayer to get rid of your PTSD. Let's let's not do um, evidence-based psychotherapy. Let's not look at what medical options could be available to you in terms of psychotropics. Let's just use this as one universal panacea. And that's where I understand where people that may be labeled as skeptics come in. And I think they're contributing an important voice that context is key. I think so. And and I think like if you put all your eggs in one basket, I think is kind of the, the lesson there, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know? And and no one practitioner has all the answers. Oh yeah. No uh, one no one person, right? We have, have we little keys. We have certain elements. Well we're we're guides. We're not um we're guides. you know, the whole <laughs> everything. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? exactly so, John. Um anyways, it, it was really fantastic speaking with you, Abdul. Um Good to speak with you, John. I Thank think you you're one the, of the more, I think you're one of the more cutting edge uh, clinical psychologists in Australia from the ones that I've yeah. spoken with, because um, I was trying to connect with a few of them. Right. Uh, just just to see um, if anybody's using anything mm. else other than talk therapy. And <laughs> I haven't yeah. done too many actually locally. So yeah, uh, yeah. Just very you know, I, I I think that you would be surprised there's a lot more of us out there but yeah we tend to be quiet right? is it the licensing thing i probably um, <laughs> not, not necessarily for license not necessarily for licensing but it's just you know he- as we say in australia head down bum up you know and uh, you just you just do the work but but there's yeah. there are many 
many, many, many integrative practitioners across all modalities, medical doctors, psychologists, chiropractors. I think it's more of a... um, more of an archetype or maybe personality or, but it's, <clears throat> it doesn't discriminate in all professions. There are, there are people that are just interested in, in getting results and learning and growing and, and, you know, helping their clients. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right, man. All right. Nice connecting with you, Abdul. And Good uh, to connect with you, can, John. Hopefully we can connect in the future. Thank you so much for the invitation. I've enjoyed the chat. All right. Bye-bye.